Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, my friends. I hope everybody's doing great today. I want to talk about uh, paranoia and difficult situations of uh, false accusations and things like that. Because so many people I know are dealing with these kinds of things and you don't know what to do. So I think, you know, just for a minute, imagine what it would be like to not know what's happening around you. Or what if you couldn't recognize everyone in your life? Paranoia itself is a condition that develops partly through fear people have as their symptoms of dementia diagnoses start to set in and get worse. And people lose the ability to recognize their family and their friends or their home or just that big struggle within them that develops and they're trying to make sense of it and they're trying to hold on to things and people and places and they just can't and they start getting so confused and eventually they become paranoid and they start thinking you're taking items that you're not who you say you are that you're there to steal from them I had somebody tell me just yesterday that a client that they were working with um, thinks that a new caregiver that I put into the home to work with this person is stealing from them. So, you know, sometimes it's like an unmet need that the person has that's causing a memory problem or a behavioral issue and they don't realize that that's what it is. So when we are trying to work with that person and and do some kind of an activity with them, they could be very suspicious of what we're trying to do. I mean, all you have to do is move something in their house and they think it's missing. And if you do something like that, if you move something in their house... Uh, you know, just a vase or something or, or their money, their purse or something like that. Tell them that you moved it. Show them where you moved it to. Say you just moved something off the table so you could sit and have lunch or play cards or something like that. If you're going to do that, then you have to tell them. And if they get upset about it and they can't find it, you say, oh, just apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought I told you I moved that. Even if you know you told them. They have short-term memory loss. They're not going to be able to follow that, that line of thinking very well. 
and they will accuse people that they love and they're that are the closest to because you're the one that's there. <laughs> they're not trying to say you're an unworthy person or you're you know you're stealing this from them or that from them randomly. You're the only person that they know that is still coming around, that is still visiting with them, that's still seeing them on a regular basis. And so they think that you are the person that is taking things. So anything you can do to change the subject, to redirect them to something else, and then go and put the item back if you know where it is. So there it is. Oh, my gosh. Here, I put it back. Look, it's right here. You know, you have it now, so please don't be upset. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. The more we can be more willing to put the blame on ourselves or to try to talk them down off that ledge, the better success you're going to have. And as that person progresses and gets more paranoid or more concerned, let other family and friends know that they are starting to have more of those feelings. Update them on the situation so that they don't create other points of concern, that somebody doesn't just up and move their purse or, you know, take their wallet or take their keys or something like that and put them in a different place where you think they're safe, but it's not where they left them, and now they're all upset about everything. It's also good, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot is money. So it's really good to just give somebody a small amount of money, a couple of bucks, right, to have in their pocket or have in their purse on hand so that they're not always um, worried about money or where the money is. If they can see that they have some money, they're less concerned about it. You know, I have suggested on many occasions that you give somebody an old pair of keys and put it on their their keychain and let them think that those are their house keys or their car keys. That really works to helping them feel like they're keeping their items safe and that they're not losing items. It makes them feel like they're more whole, like they have some independence. It's just a, you know, like even for me, when I come into the building to record, I double check my purse twice that I put my keys in there so I don't lock my keys in my car. I don't know why I do that. I don't just trust the first time that I put my keys in my purse. So it makes me feel better about it when I'm not even a person with, you know, Alzheimer's or anything. So can you imagine how that would make a person feel if you gave them some keys to hold, keys to put in their pocket, and tell them those are their keys? Maybe there's a real one on there that actually is a key to their house. I don't know. There's ways that you can get around that. And other things that you can do are... Trying to make sure that you don't change the environment. Keep it super familiar for that person. They have to be surrounded by the things that they know, that they know are theirs, that they love, that they recognize. 
And if you can, especially if you move them, like into your house or something like that, have a designated area where their favorite personal items are accessible to them and label that area and those items as belonging to that person. Like their glasses or something like that. The glasses that they wear on their on their face. Even maybe their coffee cup. You could label their favorite shampoos. This is mom's shampoo. This is so-and-so's whatever, right? Because paranoia comes from fear and confusion. Thinking that they need something, they need to buy something, they need to find something. And if they're missing something and, and say you can't, you can't produce that lost item, maybe you take them to a store. Take them to a store early in the morning, not, <clears throat> not later in the afternoon, because you want to take them when there's less people there. Like if you're trying to get a new pair of glasses or something, you don't want to be in a place that are full of people. You want to make that replacement item and the time frame to replace it faster, easier. Hearing aids are something that need to be labeled big time. When you buy them, they are so expensive. Ask them to etch your person's name in them. These are things that come up missing all the time. Glasses, hearing aids, teeth. Um, false teeth and stuff like that. And people lose those things. So if you can label them, then they're a lot less suspicious that you've changed them. You know, you can you can just say, look, here, it says right here, these are your glasses. Your name is on here, on these glasses. These are your glasses. Things like that can help eliminate the fear that people have and give you a fighting chance of being successful when you're trying to find the thing that's lost. And if that person is accusing you of stealing something or... um taking something that was theirs before you just jump to the conclusion at, that you're going to discount that what they are looking for doesn't really pan out, check out the facts. Maybe somebody did call them and scam them on the phone. Oh, that happens all the time. I, I swear, every week... I get a text from some entity telling me that my Netflix subscription is in jeopardy because I haven't paid my bill. I don't have Netflix. (laughs) So I always know automatically that that's a scam. But there are so many scams out there. They could have easily lost money with somebody that, you know, 
uh, ask them for money on the phone or something like that. Those kinds of things happen all the time. They really do. So maybe do a little bit of investigation. Is their money really missing out of their bank account? Did they give it to an entity that doesn't look like they are legitimate? What's going on? And so how do you even start that conversation? How do you begin talking to them about something that they are paranoid about, something they are angry about, and they're accusing you of doing something, that you've taken something, you've done something, How do you even begin talking about that? So think to yourself, this disease is robbing my person of their life. They are putting up huge defenses, which is a natural reaction when they think somebody is doing something to them. And what they're trying to do is exert some type of control over the situation by accusing you of taking it. Now, that may sound pretty whacked, but the fact of the matter is you're not going to win the argument with them So trying to reassure them and validate their feelings that whatever they've lost must just feel terrible, that they might feel really violated. Um, But try to encourage positive thoughts. We're going to find it. We'll get your money back. We'll make sure that we know where it's at. Again, apologizing and taking the blame on yourself for something moved or missing and then finding some way to replace whatever the missing object is, is probably your best bet. And I've said it over and over, but dealing with and understanding the emotion of that person is your best bet. Not necessarily what they're missing, Not necessarily anything having to do with that. But if you can say, well, this must be difficult for you. We'll get through it together. I'll help you. Isn't it wonderful that we have each other and we can both go look for this? I can help you out. You know, say things to them that deal with the emotion, not the missing object. Instead of saying, I didn't take the money. You didn't have any money to begin with. You haven't had any money in your pocket for 10 years. You could say, I'm sorry you're upset. The doctor said you have some memory loss. Here's your wallet. Here it is. You just forgot. You said it over there. You didn't remember. I found it for you. Yay. You know, um, the person that I told you about, my, my caregiver who is in a home, the lady was just sure that the new caregiver that just started had stolen her earrings. 
So I said to my caregiver that works with her, I said, tell her you understand that she's frustrated that she can't find her favorite earrings. It's upsetting when you think you've lost, you know, a treasure, treasured possession. Let's go look for them together. I, I bet we'll find them. And when they were actually trying to find them, the person got upset with her. And I said, one of the things you can say to her is, I know you're frustrated with me. Let me show you where I think we could probably look. I'm doing my best to try to help you. These are, these are hard things to deal with. Even noticing things in their environment, like a phone ringing or, you know, an air raid going off on the phone or lightning or whatever it is. We're having that in Denver today. Um, you could say something like, I've asked the, the doctor's office to call me instead of you. I'll take care of everything. I'll find that medicine that you're, you're missing or whatever it is. And if you're really concerned about it and it becomes a daily thing, maybe you could keep a journal. You could write down the days and the times that they are missing objects or the days and times that they get upset or extraordinarily paranoid. Maybe it's when people are in the house and bothering them or the phone's ringing too many times or all the questions they got at the doctor's office today and write journal notes about what you think causes that paranoia, what led up to whatever that scenario was. And when you find something that works, journal about that too. If you find something that really soothes them and you've said the right thing, addressing their emotional well-being, then write that down too. And then let other family members and friends know where to store certain valuables. If somebody's coming in to clean, tell them don't move the things in their room. Put, put, pick them up, dust under them, and put them right back down where they were. Because that helps your person main control maintain control and and do it as often as they possibly can. You've got to find ways to keep that person calm because that paranoia and those accusations can be hurtful. They're very harmful. They're destructive to relationships. And it's very, very difficult when they feel like they are losing their independence and it comes out in this form every single time. This is one of the biggest problems that people have, I think, when they are dealing with paranoia and accusations. It's just mind-boggling. It's disruptive to our emotional stability and we have to figure out ways to try to work with it. We're going to take a short break 
and listen to a word from our sponsor. And we're going to continue this conversation, but we're going to move to hostility and how to work through that. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit carillon at bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay. So we talked about paranoia and accusations in the first part today. And now I want to talk about hostility. And I think hostility starts kind of in the early stages. Because we don't recognize necessarily what's happening to our person. And they recognize it, but they're trying to not make a big deal out of it. Because if they make a big deal out of it, so will everybody else. And then it's only a matter of time until all those independent things get checked off and you no longer are in control of them anymore. And I'm telling you right now, I'll bet you 90% of my clients say during the first couple of years when they've had a diagnosis, they have moments of strong anger. They are mad at the world for their illness. And sometimes they can become, you know, verbally mean, socially unacceptable in the way they are talking to you. You know, when when people are giving you instructions and they're taking control of the situations, sometimes that can be really tough. Recently, I was working on a case where there was a person who had what I would call pretty extreme emotional baggage and also had a very self-deprivating, poor me kind of outlook. And that particular person uh, was sort of saying, I don't want you to pity me, but Everything else she was saying was saying to her friends, please pity me. She would speak to her friends just horribly. Uh, Shut up. Shut up. Don't say anything. Stop laughing at me. When they weren't doing anything of the sort, they were all there to, to huddle around her and give her love and protection and compassion. And she was treating them like crap. And I finally came to the conclusion that this wasn't the disease talking. This was emotional instability. This was somebody just behaving badly and using the disease 
I don't want to say facade because they do have the beginning stages of a disease, but they were really being politically incorrect, socially unacceptable. And this was a situation where I felt like one minute the person was telling me that they could continue to drive and they do well and they don't want independence to be taken away. And the next minute when I said, hey, you have to own the way you are treating people. Your friends wouldn't be sitting here with me. They wouldn't have called me over and paying me to try to figure out where you are in the disease process and how they can help you if they didn't want to help you. So this poor, poor me thing is tiresome, really. And you can't have it both ways. You can't say on the one hand, oh, poor me, and I'm not worthy of being loved, and I'm not this, and I'm not that, and being angry and shouting at people and trying to shut them down, and the next minute say you're able to operate a motor vehicle. You don't get it both ways. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form saying that we need to treat people bad that have this diagnosis, but I will say there's a difference between the disease process skewing your thoughts and your uh, memory and, and your cognition, but it's a whole nother problem when you're just acting like an ass and you're treating people badly because you feel badly. Because I'm telling you what, just like I told this person, you are trying to get attention through bad behavior, and you could get a whole lot more positive attention if you would just be nice. Don't tell your friends to shut up. When my kids were little, we didn't even allow them to say things like that to each other. And here's a lady in her late 70s talking to her friends that way. No, that's just flat out learned behavior of behaving badly and treating people like crap that are the closest to you that are trying to do what they can to help you. That is not okay with me. And and the reason I did that was uh, the example that I had for her was when I walked into the house, say, at 10 o'clock. The first thing she did was she muttered something. I think she called me a bitch. (laughs) Turned, stuck her tongue out at me and flipped me off and said to another person there that she wanted me to leave. And... An hour and a half later, she said, did you see what I did when you walked in? And I said, yeah, I saw it. I just ignored it, you know. I mean, when I come, I try not to take anything personally. I couldn't care less, you know. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of what the diagnosis is and and work with the people that love you and try to help them understand you a little bit and maybe make your day a little bit better. But it blew my mind that they all thought she had short-term memory that was overtaking every ounce of her day, when the truth of the matter is, 
You don't remember an hour and a half later what you did when you have extreme short-term memory loss. And that's exactly what happened. So that told me that that person was behaving that way because they think they can get away with it and their friends weren't calling them on it. And I called her on it. I said, when you act this way, I'm going to tell your friends to call BS. I'm going to tell them, no, you don't get to feel sorry for yourself. You don't get to treat us badly because you just feel like it at this moment in time. Nobody deserves that. And there are so many people that walk away from somebody with a diagnosis, which makes me incredibly sad. But I told this lady, I said, that you're in danger of them walking away from you because you are treating them like this. That's just, you know, that's not okay. When you've got people that are wanting to be in your corner and they're wanting to help you and they're they're willing to be there and take you out to dinner and pick you up and take you to doctor appointments and stuff like that, you don't get to just decide, okay, every time I talk to them or they're look at me, I'm just going to tell them to shut up before they even start talking. Nobody does that. Who talks that way? Nobody. Even I don't. I'm a very confident, opinionated person. And I don't do that. I don't look at people and just tell them to shut up. There's a difference between being in a later stage of the disease and somebody becoming angry, throwing their hands up, trying to get out of the car, walking away from you. Um, Whatever that hostility and that anger is... Those kinds of things do happen, but when you know that you're flipping somebody off because you don't want them to be there and you think they're going to say something that you don't like, that's just unacceptable. Luckily, I don't care. If somebody doesn't like me, oh, it takes me a half a second to get over that tragedy. Are you kidding me? No. I I couldn't care less. I'm there to do a job. I want to try to uh, see you for who you are. I want to try and and help you and be your friend. Uh, but if you treat me badly uh, and it's the disease process, I'll know it. If you treat me badly and it's just because you're behaving badly, I'll know that too. So people become hostile or belligerent. Sometimes because they've lost the ability to understand or to remember what you just said. Sometimes they wish that they could intervene and talk to you and carry on a conversation, you know, the way that you're talking to them and they know they're losing that ability. They're losing experiences and things that they used to use as tools in conversations and it's not working and they get upset about it. And when you get a dementia disease, it changes everything. It changes literally everything. It changes you. It changes your mood. Some days you are pleasantly confused and other days you're mad as hell. You can be agitated. You can be challenging. You could be obstinate. 
or resistant or negative in everything that you're trying to express, those kinds of things happen. And maybe you have a good reason for feeling that way. But just know that at a certain point, especially when you are in an earlier stage of the disease process, people will be there for you if you can learn to manage the situations and the actions. And they'll try to help you to be more confident, to have a better demeanor. They'll use a better tone of voice when they're working with you or when they're around you. And you'll see it in their face. And they'll see it in your face. And you'll do so much better together. There are true times when people are hostile, when they are upset. You can say, keep your emotions in check. Keep your emotions in check. Try not to be so hostile. Try not to be so angry. I'm feeling pretty happy today. I'm here to help you. Sometimes we have people that are just plain all out, been out of shape and angry. Their opposition is so strong. You feel like you just can't. You can't work with it in any way, shape, or form. But no, they feel like they're losing control. If they feel like they're losing control, try to set the environment up for success. Like uh, if you say you want to go for a walk to try to maybe redirect them somehow and get them in a better state of mind... Before you do that, make sure you have their shoes and their socks sitting right there so that you can, you know, give them to them and have them put them on instead of adding on to whatever their anger is and having it become worse. This way you can say, hey, I've got your shoes and socks right here. Why don't we go for a walk and get some fresh air? It will help. Sometimes people are angry and hostile because they feel like they're left out of decisions. That everybody's making decisions around them. Doctor appointments, living arrangements, caregivers coming in, what they're having for dinner. They don't feel like they have any decisions. And maybe they don't know how to tell you that because their cognition isn't working that well. So think about including them in the easy decisions of their day. Just ask them for an opinion about, you know, what they're going to wear for the day, what what color shirt they're going to have on. Just engage them in the decision process. That might make some of that hostility go away. And if you can have routines set up throughout the day, those are super useful. Activities help them feel like they have a rhythm going, you know, um, that they watch a show at a certain time, they go for a walk at a certain time, They have opportunities to do different things. They can help make lunch. Maybe bring up, you know, some of their favorite memories about when they got a hole-in-one at one time or something like that or when they got their dog for the first time, when they got married. Happy 
meaningful moments that you can reminisce about? Busy work that you can have them do? Sorting the mail, clipping coupons, making a grocery list? And if they continue to be hostile, just look for opportunities to lighten their mood. Turn on some music. Turn on a comedy show. Turn on a magic show. Divert their attention to a different place. Grab some magazines or newspapers and let them look at them. Invite them in the kitchen to get a nice cool drink. These are things that will help you enormously in working with them. And if you are super well known to that person, you're going to be a target. I promise you, you're going to be an easy target for their anger. They're going to lash out at you in frustration. They do that. They do that to the people they love the most. Sometimes you just need to let them vent. Try and empathize, sympathize, focus on their feelings rather than the negative actions that they're exhibiting. Try not to talk too much. Smile. Try to give a hug. Stand there quiet for just a minute. Maybe say things to them like, I know you're upset with me right now. When you're ready to talk, I'll be right here in the other room. Come and talk to me. I'm sorry I tried to put your shirt on for you. I know you can do it yourself. I apologize. Things like that. I'm sorry I tried to tie your shoes. I thought you needed help. Maybe I should have just asked you. You know, it's hard when people are used to doing things their own way. They grow up with certain habits. They have certain routines that they do. These are tough things. They're really, really tough. And they get worse when a person has a diagnosis. They absolutely get worse. You upset that apple cart, you're going to get the wrath that you never thought that person had in their body. Right? If you want them to do something with you and you're trying to redirect, one thing you could do is say, hey, you know, you were always so good at making desserts in the kitchen. Why don't you come in here with me and show me so I can learn some of your secrets and start helping you to make it next time we make chocolate pudding or something like that. And again, remember what their hot buttons are. Is there certain food they don't like? Is there certain clothes they don't like? Are there certain shows they don't like? Is there certain music they don't like? If you know those kinds of things, like you know a person hates country music, don't turn on country music. If they don't like rap music, don't turn on rap music. Find the things that they like so that you have a way to redirect their energy towards something more positive. 
And if all else fails, you might have to get some medication to help that person. There are times when it's just too much. There are times when we can't find the answer. We can't make something different happen on our own. It's out of our scope of care. We have to ask professionals for help. Don't be afraid to do that. We have a lot, a lot of problems with these things, my friends. Paranoia, hostility. It is one of the hardest things about being a caregiver. So hard. So incredibly hard. So think about the things I've said today. Journal when things go good. Journal when things go bad. Look at the first 10 minutes before they had an outburst and try to figure out what happened. It can clue you in to try to help you be even better at caring for them. And for those of you with a diagnosis, if you're just acting out and you're acting like a child who's throwing a temper tantrum, stop. Because people will walk away from you fast enough, which is heartbreaking. Don't push them away because you're not emotionally stable. Please don't do that. Your world gets smaller and smaller by the second. Well, that's all I got. And I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.